Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe that God will speak to you wherever you are. Now let's prepare our hearts and hear what God has for us today. Whether you're in this room or in the lobby and overflow or watching online, we're so glad that you guys are here with us today. As we are in week three of a series called Uncensored and we're talking about today, sex. That's about what I expected. So listen, let me just throw this out there. If you have little ones in the room that should be in our Elevate Kids like program, which by the way is not childcare, it is leadership development. We are telling them about Jesus on a level that they can understand. Our volunteers back there are unbelievable. Let's give it up for our children's people. They're amazing, every single one of them. But this would be a good time. If they have not yet checked out Elevate Kids, now's your opportunity to take them back there. But if they are in middle school, high school, they should be in this room. Because for far too long, we have let people define something that God designed. God designed it. Our world is so uh, obsessed with, with sex and and you know everything you know sex sells sex appeal i mean sex sells everything from cars to candy bars and everything in between and we need to look at god's word what does he say about how we are to live our lives according to his plan and purposes and so i'm i'm excited actually to talk about this i'm i'm super excited let's talk about sex baby let's talk about you and me in fact we've decided that i am the most qualified to talk about this I'm not bragging, that's not to say anything. I'm saying because out of the staff, we have the most kids. And we all know, I have four boys, that sex is only used for procreation. How many of you are grateful that's not true? Come on guys, let's go, where are you at? That's absolutely not true. And so what we're going to do is talk about what God says about sex. Because we're all affected by this, whether you are engaging in it, whether you are thinking about it constantly, whether you have been taught something about it, some misinformation, whether you have been abused in this area, you've been misinformed, whether, whether you have, have a history of promiscuity like I do in your past, whatever that is, maybe you're just simply trying to slide into somebody's DMs. I don't know where you are. Maybe you have worn purity as, a, as an idol and you are brought up, taught that, you know, sex is, is bad. Don't do it. Don't do it. And that's all you ever heard. The reality is we are all impacted and affected by this. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about it for the sake of ourselves, for the sake of our kids. Come on, parents. Let's talk about it for the sake of our grandkids. And let's remove the awkwardness surrounding this, this topic in church and release whatever traditions that you might have carried, you know, uh, as, as far as keeping S-E-X, you know, hush, hush in God's house. Because we're all in this together and regardless of your struggle or your story or your past that makes you feel isolated perhaps in a crowded room like this, I'm telling you right now, you are not as alone as you think you are. In fact, before we even get started, Jesus was the embodiment of grace and truth. And when it comes to topics like this, we need both. Uh, I've heard it said that, that truth without grace is mean. And maybe some of you 
when it comes to talking about sex in the church have been preached in a way that's just been, been mean and has made you feel more beat up, you know, than, than when you showed up. But I've also heard this, that, that truth or grace, truth without, or grace without truth is meaningless. And so we need both. Are you with me? Truth and grace together is good medicine. So it's grace that you walked in here just the way you are, that God loves you just as you are. But it's truth that says God does not want you to stay that way. It's grace that says it's okay not to be okay. It's okay. But it's truth that says, you know what? It's not okay to stay that way. When God has given us his word and a plan and boundaries for how we are to live our lives. Are you with me? So we need both grace and truth. The grace of Jesus redeems us, restores us. The grace of Jesus shuts up shame in your life and reminds us all that you never have or never will be able to outsend the the saving grace of Jesus. You can't do it. So we take grace seriously and you have to hear this message today through that filter, a filter of grace. Otherwise, you're going to miss the heart of God. So we do not downplay grace's ability to make you a new creation. If you are in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. In Christ, his mercies are new for you every single day. We do not downplay the work of grace in this house, nor do we downplay the divine dance partner of grace, truth. Because do you wanna grow? Do you wanna change? Do you wanna get better? Truth is the way we're convicted. Truth is how we are challenged. Truth is the way that we become more and more like Jesus, so we need both. And so we're gonna talk about it, because all truth belongs to God. And again, in our culture, when it comes to this topic of sex, we've let people define something that they did not make. And so for the next few moments, regardless of, of reality TV, regardless of The Bachelorette, regardless of uh, porn websites, regardless of what you were, you know, the family you were brought up in, regardless of the way that you even feel, can we allow the Word of God to set the standard for today? And that, His truth with a good measure of grace. In fact, turn to your neighbor right now and say, hey neighbor, go ahead, say neighbor, you can handle the truth. Tell him, you can. And then you respond back and say, what truth? And then you give them the message title, the truth about sex. Tell them the truth about sex. You know you all wanted to say it in church anyway. Dear God, we need help. Let's pray one more time. Heavenly Father, God, we pray away any sense of condemnation today. And only pray a spirit of, of grace and an atmosphere of grace in this house today. Condemnation is the enemy who says, you suck and you can't ever change. A conviction by your spirit just tells us all the ways in our life that we can be better at following you and living the life that you've created us to live to its fullness. So right now we pray against any condemnation in this house. And we also pray for a bigger and better vision of sex in the way that you've designed it and created it in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you guys, thank you band. We'll see you in a few. If you have your Bible, open it up to Genesis chapter 25. And if you would give me three minutes to recap a little bit of the story that I told last week, 
uh, but I'm going to do it from a different perspective. Last week, I paraphrased the text that I'm about to read, and we, we talked significantly about Jacob. Abraham, the father of faith, had a son, Isaac, who had two sons, Esau and Jacob, and last week, we focused on, on Jacob. This week, I want to focus on his, his brother, and so this is what Genesis 25, 21 says. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. And so stop right here. You should pray for your spouse, like often, yeah, something about, about that. I mean, or pray for your future spouse. Apparently, God likes it when we do that. Skip ahead to verse 24. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb, and the first to come out was red. And I love that God put that detail in there. God's like, yeah, 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 make sure you tell people he was red, um, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. And I mentioned last week that in the Hebrew is the word Chewbacca, Chewbacca. Chewbacca, you have to say it with that little. Don't fact check that. That's not, you'd be disappointed. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60. When Rebekah gave birth to them, the boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. So clearly Esau is a man's man. He's this outdoorsy kind of guy. He's a hunter. He's obviously read, you know, wild at heart. And so that's kind of the guy he is. Jacob, on the other hand, is the very first mama's boy ever recorded in history. He was happy to stay at home among the tents. Check it out. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, all right? So this is the father, loved Esau. Of course he did, but mama, Rebecca, loved Jacob. And here we go, once, when Jacob was cooking some soup, Esau came in from the open country, famished, and he said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew because I'm famished. And Jacob replied, okay, first though, sell me your, what's that word? Birthright. Now I need to pause here. The oldest son, as the oldest son Esau, he had a birthright that made him the heir to the grandfather Abraham's blessing. And when it comes to blessings, can I tell you something? As far as blessings go, this was a good one. If you remember, God said to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. In fact, I'm going I'm to create a nation out of you. Your, your descendants are going to outnumber the stars in the sky and the sands on the sea. Everything you do is going to be blessed. In fact, the world is going to be blessed through you. And so this is what we're talking about when we say the birthright. He was given this birthright, this, this blessing. Esau was given everything from God. Like the ultimate destiny, the ultimate future that you can imagine, it would all be, be blessed until his little brother offers him an immediate solution for a temporary feeling, his hunger, a bowl of soup. And I just need to make sure we are all on the same page with the weight of the decision that is being made right here. This is the ultimate blessing you could possibly imagine, and he trades it for a bowl of soup. So Esau says this. This is so dramatic. Look at it. He says, look, I'm about to die. What good is my birthright to me? In other words, what good is my future? What good is this, this destiny? What good is you know everything that I could inherit? as having this birthright because I'm about to die. But Jacob, cunning Jacob, said, okay, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his future. 
selling his destiny, selling the, the ultimate from God for an immediate fix, his, his selling his birthright. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and soup. He ate and drank, and then he got up and left. So he traded God's ultimate for the world's immediate. And thank God, none of us knows what that feels like. And in case you're wondering if Esau regretted this decision, look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16 says, watch out for the Esau syndrome. The message version like, like calls it this, but it talks about Esau, the Esau syndrome. What's that? Trading away God's lifelong gift in order to satisfy a short-term appetite. Ugh. I want to talk from this framework of trading God's ultimate for the world's immediate as it relates to sex. And the first thing that we need to, to understand is sex is not culture's idea. Sex is, is God's idea. Can I get a better amen in the house? This is God's idea. And so the very first gift, the very first command that God ever gives humanity in the garden is to be fruitful and multiply. And I hear people say all the time, well, Colby, the, the Bible's just a big book of rules. It's a big book of, of do's and don'ts. And just so you know, that's not true. In fact, the, the Bible is a story of redemption for you and for me. From the beginning to the end, it talks about how we were fallen, we were apart from God, separated from God, but he sent a savior to save us, to restore us back to the Father. We can say amen on that. God, thank you for your son. But if that is your... If that's your bent to say, you know, the Bible's just a big book of rules, it's just a big list of, of do's and don'ts, if you're gonna say that, we'll at least be fair and consistent with that and acknowledge that the first rule then God gave us, the first command was to have a lot of sex. Are you with me? That's the first command. In fact, think about it this way. God could have solved the, the, the procreation problem any way he wanted. And he could have said, you know what, we're just gonna set up a, a baby garden and so if you need a new baby, you just go out to the back field, and when it's time to pop up, just one, you just plug it out of the ground or whatever it is. But he didn't do that, right? Like the, the God of the universe in his infinite wisdom, thank you, Jesus, decided to make baby building a blast, decided to make baby making fun, and squirm and giggle all you want, that's fine, but this is our God. And I know some of you are sitting there with you know all mean faces and clenched booties and whatever, because your palms are sweaty because we're talking about sex in church, but many of you won't do it at home. And I'm telling you right now, nature abhors a vacuum. And if, if you won't talk about having a godly vision for sex with your kids, can I tell you something? The world is all too happy to do it for you. And in many ways, they already are. So this is God's vision. The vision, and so he is the designer of it, and as the designer of something, let's let him define it. Are you with me? Why do we make this so difficult? Letting someone else define something that they never created. But understand this, the Esau syndrome, right, that is something that is inside every single human heart. We all have this ability to trade the ultimate for the world's Immediate, and I'm convinced the reason why we do this so quickly is because we don't have a vision for it in our life. We lack vision. Listen to me, this is not a message today about not sinning. 
This is a message about not settling, not settling for the bowls of soup that the world is wanting to offer you because when you lack vision, you will settle. But when you have vision, you won't. You won't settle. And I wanna challenge us today to have a bigger and better vision for our love life, for our marriages, for your future marriage perhaps, for our, 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 our sex life, for our future sex life. And I know it sounds a little weird, maybe crazy, to talk about God having a vision for our sex life, but he does. And he says it is good. In fact, in Genesis, he said, man, it is, it is good. So as the designer, let's let him be the definer. I'm gonna give you three things today that we need to take away that sex is other than procreation. Are you with me? Number one, write this down. Sex is passionate. It's passionate. And we need to go back to the garden. Uh, Early on, I picture Adam when he was alone. God gave him the responsibility to name the animals, you know, to tend the garden, that kind of thing. And I picture him sitting on a rock, you know, just kind of checking out the animals and like, that's a giraffe. That's a, you know, that's a, a bug. I don't even know what to call that. That's a bug. Let's just say that's a bug. Uh, that's a monkey, which by the way, whoever named monkeys, actually, they nailed it. Those things are monkeys, right? I can't think of any other thing to call those things. But, but I, th I think he's sitting there, all right, that's a toucan, chipmunk, platypus, I guess, whatever. And God, in this moment, is thinking, all right, this is not good that this dude is alone. If this is it, if this is what we got, then we are in trouble. In fact, I like to think that God thought, all right, I can do better than this guy, so he created woman, right? Come on, ladies. And so you know the story. God caused Adam to fall asleep. And I've always thought, how did he do that? I don't know if he took some chloroform on a rag and did the... And then he fell backward. I don't know how, how that worked. But he caused Adam to fall asleep, took a rib, created Eve, brought Eve to Adam, and when he did, she was naked, the Bible says. And so Adam woke up, sees his naked wife in front of him. Come on, that's a good day for Adam, right? And he starts singing the very first song ever recorded in history. You can go, that's a true story. He said, this is bone of my bones and, and flesh of my, my flesh. So look at where we are so far. Let's recap God's vision for sex. At this point is a husband and a wife, naked, unashamed, in an all-inclusive paradise, right, the garden, with the command to have a lot of sex. Sex is passionate. This is God's vision. And I say that because that does not get taught a lot in church, does it? In fact, sex is taught oftentimes as this unpardonable kind of pedestal type of, of sin. In fact, there are some circles that will put your purity on par with salvation. They'll say things like, well, you know what? If you want to be saved, you have to love Jesus, you know, confess him as Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, and stay a virgin for the rest of your life. Like, that's kind of what it seems like it's this extreme where we were taught that lust is bad, lust is bad, but never taught that desire is good and something that God gave us. And if that's how you were brought up, like this can shake you. When, when you finally get on your honeymoon, day one, day two, and all of a sudden this is okay? When you spent your whole life hearing it's evil, it's bad, it's wrong, it's nasty, don't do it. If you have sex, you're gonna get pregnant and die or whatever you were taught. But again, sex was not the devil's idea. Sex is not shameful. Sex is not secular. Can I remind you, we were made sexual a chapter before we ever became sinful. 
in the Bible. We were made sexual beings before sin even entered into the equation. Now we pollute it, we uh, abuse it, we pervert it. That's what the enemy wants us to do. Like that's all he knows how to do. The devil is not a creator of anything. He is a perverter of things that God created. And so we, we pervert it, but the pure and beautiful gift, this came straight from God's imagination. This, this passionate sex. It's not like Adam and Eve were in the garden one day and Satan you know, whispers in Adam's ear, hey, Adam, you should try this. You and Eve together. And God was off running errands and he comes back and he sees Adam and Eve having sex. And he's like, what are you doing? Stop that, you pervert, get off of her. That's not what happened. Adam, I didn't give you that for that. Don't do that anymore. That's not how this worked. God said, this is my design. Be fruitful and multiply. In fact, throughout God's word, we see that sex is, is passionate. In fact, here's just one verse. It's PG-13. So, um, park earmuffs. Here we go. PG-13. Proverbs 5, 18 says this. May your fountain be blessed. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. Tell me, God's not passionate about this? May you ever be, what's that word? Intoxicated with her love? The truth is, God wants you to have a passionate sex life. And your desire to experience passion and pleasure is not sinful. It's godly. There is an entire book in the Bible right in the middle called the Song of songs, or your version might say the Song of Solomon, but it is a book of a husband and wife, and it's explicit, and it's erotic, and it's poems and songs about their lives together. In fact, so much so that young Hebrew boys were not even allowed to read it. That's how like explicit it was. So apparently, God is not some party pooper looking to keep you from having fun. And so apparently, maybe you just have to get a bigger and better vision of your sex life than the bowls of soup that the world is trying to sell you. And so I want you to leave here wanting more, wanting different, because when you know the vision God has for you, his ultimate, you will not trade it for the world's immediate. Sex was created, divinely designed to be passionate, number one. Some of you might just need to pray and go home after that, all right? But number two, write this down, sex is intimate, it's intimate. Genesis 2.24 says, a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become what? Say it out loud. One flesh. They become one flesh. Sex was created to unite the souls of two people together. In the, the Hebrew, that word is the word dode. One flesh, dode. And that means a mingling of souls, which is amazing in the context of marriage. But it's dangerous and risky outside of that context. Because when your souls mingle with one another, not only does it bind you physically, but it also binds you spiritually. This mingling of souls, which is why, by the way, that relationship with your boyfriend or girlfriend was never the same after you had sex. Because it's both binding and it's blinding, not just physically, but spiritually. Like, we all have that story of that friend. Uh, I've been that friend, that you have a friend that, that got into a relationship and it became toxic and it's so painfully obvious to every single other person except that person because contrary to belief, sex is not just physical. 
is deeply spiritual. So much so that it's the tool that God gave a husband and wife to become one flesh, which is also why he made it to be experienced in the context of an I'm not going anywhere kind of covenant relationship. That's why he's to experience it in only those kinds of, of relationships. Now, movies and TV and um, you know, your friends might even say things like, well, relax, relax, it's not that big of a deal. We're just animals. This is our animal instinct. It's only physical. But please, you don't have to agree with me on anything else I say today. Tune everything else out. You don't have to believe anything I say about God or Jesus or anything else. But please, do not tell me you think that sex is only physical. You have way more sense than that. Because if sex is just physical, then why is there so much shame associated with it? If sex is just physical, why are you secretive about that pornography viewing and addiction? If it's just physical, then why hide that? Why keep that a, a secret? If it's just physical, then why is it that thing that happened to you when you were younger that might not have even been in your control and out of your hands? Why does that thing still stay with you decades and decades later? If it is just physical, don't hand me that garbage. Why is it, if it's just physical, that women who are sexually assaulted are 10 times less likely to tell anybody than if they were physically assaulted? I'll tell you why. It's not just physical. It is deeply emotional, and it marks you in a deep way. Listen, when I talk to guys outside of here in a coffee shop and I ask them about their, their regrets in life or that's what they want to talk about, do you know what they never say? Well, my biggest regret is the time, you know, that I, that I stole candy from Circle K. My biggest regret is the time that I cheated on my geography test back in school. They don't say that. They don't say that. You know what they say? Is that one night stand is that sexual abuse, is that sexual addiction, is that addiction to, to pornography, is that bad relationship that, that was corrupt? Like, that's what they say. Why? Because it sticks with you. Sex potentially is the most powerful thing on the planet. And in the right context, it creates soul intimacy. In the wrong context, it creates soul injury and harm. And God knew this not just passion, it's not just intimate, but write this down, it's powerful. It's powerful. 1 Corinthians 6.18, Paul is writing to a church in Corinth that is a sex-saturated city. And so I could just assume that he's writing this to us today too. Because we live in a sex-saturated kind of world. But he says this, in verse 18 he says, flee, somebody say flee. Flee from sexual immorality, flee. And right away you're like, that sounds drastic, Paul. Really, flee, like physically, like run away? He says, has, he says flee. Well, I don't know, Paul, that sounds, that sounds a lot like legalism to me. Be careful not to confuse wisdom with legalism. Wisdom is I'm setting a boundary, and I'm not trying to get as close to that boundary as I can because I know the closer I get to it, the easier it is for me to fall into it. Are you with me? Don't confuse legalism with, with wisdom. This is wisdom. He's saying flee. Flee from sexual immorality. Why? Because it's not like any other sin. He says all other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. And God knows this. 
That's why he gives us rules and boundaries and tells us in his word how we're to operate in our sex life, not because he's trying to rob you of passion or rob you of of joy, but because he loves you and he does not want you to get hurt. This is why he says this. If you think God is some sort of cosmic killjoy, you know, somewhere that just doesn't want you to have any fun, the healthiest thing that you can do today is to get a bigger and better version, get that fake version of God out of your mind and get a, a real vision of God in your heart and in your life. Because if he's God, then by definition, he has nothing to gain from taking a single thing from you. Think about that. He just doesn't want me to have fun. Really? God, who has everything, wants to take something from you. Then that would not make him God. He's not trying to shut down your party. He's trying to help you. Trying to help you. This is called being a good father. That's what this is. Listen, if you buy a a chainsaw from Home Depot today, you're gonna get that chainsaw, it's going to come with an owner's manual. Why? Why do do we have an owner's manual? I don't know, Colby, Home Depot hates me. (laughs) They just don't want me to have any fun with my chainsaw. No, dummy. They don't want you to cut your finger off or your toe off or whatever it is, right? This is why God gives us guidelines. God is good. It's just that the devil is a good liar. He's been lying to us. This is where you'll find satisfaction in the world. This is what you're looking for. It's just about sex this, sex that. Everybody's doing it. Everybody's finding this. Again, the devil is a liar. So I want you to take an honest inventory and observe what's happening in our world and the world's sexual patterns, because I'm telling you right now, they are working for nobody. Nobody. So let me clear some of these lies up. No, everyone's not doing it. Hey, children in this room, middle school, everybody's doing it, man. No, they're not. Not everybody's doing it. And I know sometimes the the pressure that we have on us to, yeah, yeah. I'm telling you right now, not everybody's doing it. No, it does not make you more desirable or appealing, ladies. No, it does not come without harming you because there are real, you know, consequences to that. And I wish that wasn't the case, but I didn't make the rules on this. Like, I imagine the world of sexual immorality kind of like this vast, deep, dark ocean that we're all kind of swimming in, and all of a sudden we see this little light just kind of creeping in the water, and we're like, oh, that looks cool. I'm gonna go to that light and I'm gonna see what that's about. And so maybe that's sleeping over at your boyfriend's house or sleeping over at your your girlfriend's house and it's just, oh, I wanna touch it. I wanna follow it, whatever it is and, and I'll have sex with him or have sex with her and this looks amazing in this big world of, of darkness and whatever, but the reality is the closer and closer that you get to the light, which is, by the way, this is what happens with people who are just hopping from one bed to the other. All you're doing is practicing, you know, having affairs because you're just, your mind's constantly looking to the world's patterns of how to operate in our sexuality until you get close enough to realize, yo, this is not what I thought it was. This is not as enticing and as exciting as I thought it was. And that might look funny and silly, but it's true. And there are people in this room who will testify to that fact. 
and say, I thought this was going to fulfill something in my heart and in my life. But guess what? It didn't. It had teeth. And it ate me. It ate me up. Just telling you. Now, again, the grace of Jesus covers all of that. All of the ways that maybe you found yourself wandering and swimming in the darkness year after year after year. Again, like if his grace did not cover that, what are we doing here? Like why even do this? But his grace covers all of it. So shame off of you. Regardless of how long you've been swimming in the darkness, God's love is stronger than your mistakes. You are not more powerful than his grace in your life. And I don't need to know your story because I know my God. He loves you. You are not used up. You are not broken goods. You are not second class. Like there's Jesus wants you and loves you. If you hear me, you don't hear anything else, hear this. His forgiveness is not fragile. But the consequences are real. His forgiveness is not fragile. And this is why Paul says, you know, sexual, sexual immorality is not like any other sin because the consequences are real, so flee from it. Hey, middle schoolers, high schoolers, watching right now, watching online, take it from a guy who did not flee early on in his life. You do not have to learn this lesson the hard way. You don't. You can learn this lesson the easy way and be better off for it. That's what Paul says, flee. And I can tell you firsthand, perhaps, and more importantly, that Jesus can meet you right in the middle of that ocean of darkness, make you a new creation. Your, your sin has been bought and paid for by the blood and sacrifice of Jesus. He can give you a new hope and a new future for your life. I can tell you that firsthand. You know why we love comeback stories? It's because God loves comeback stories. He loves giving second chances, third chances, fourth chances. I'm telling you. But you should know the world is not as happy operating in their sexual immorality as they want you to believe they are. They're not. And so don't take my word for it, but look at these statistics. Check it out. People who move in together before they get married end up getting divorced 73% of the time. And I know what room I'm in, and I know there are people here in that situation right now. And again, shame off of you. Shame off of you. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not coming at you. I'm, I'm no fool. I understand that. But I'm also, at the same time, like, I, I'm believing that you don't have to be one of those statistics. In fact, maybe I believe it more than you believe it right now, which is fine. I'll believe it enough for, for both of us, and I believe that because you're here. Like, I believe that you are here because you feel like God has a better way for you to live your life. So, so it's not by chance, but you're, you're here. And so that sets you apart from these majorities as it is. But as one of your pastors who officiates weddings, I have this haunting vision that I'm taking two people that are friends that are maybe have been living together and strapping them into a roller coaster with a 73% chance that it's going to crash. And I'm sorry, but not sorry. I just can't do that without telling you the reality of what the world is seeing and experiencing. Look at this stat right here. People who regularly sleep around before they get married are five to six times more likely to have an affair one day. Yet our world is continuing to disciple us in the subject of our sexuality. 
continue to tell us how we should operate and function. The world continues to say things like, yeah, 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 well, you need to test drive the car before you buy it. Meaning you need to, you need to have sex with them and see if you're compatible, bro, before you, before you get, get married. Are we still preaching that garbage? Really? You need to test drive it? You need to make sure you are compatible? Is, are you a male? Is she a female? Hey, newsflash, you're compatible. It's gonna work, all right? I'm telling you. And just so you know, you're compatible with about 3.9 other billion people on the planet, which does not mean you have to firsthand find out for yourself. That is such garbage. Test drive. You kidding me? It's ridiculous. But it's what the world would have you have you think. And again, five to six times more likely that you're gonna have an affair one day. Listen, if I want a healthy, thriving marriage, I'm not gonna take my love and marriage advice from a wildly unhappy world with a 50% divorce rate. And that's what it is. You know what that's called? Insanity. Insanity. I just want more for my life than what the world is offering. You need to leave here with a greater vision of sex and intimacy than what the world wants to give us. And let me say this, and then I'll quickly move on. For those of you that are living together right now, not married, no condemnation. There's no judgment here. I tend to take the position of the Apostle Paul who says, you know what? I'm probably the worst sinner of all. And so there is no judgment for you. But here's what I will unapologetically ask you to do, and that is ask God. Just say, God, what do you think about this right now in our life? And God is not mad at you. God is not gonna slap your wrist. God is a, he's a dad. And so what I'm asking you to do is ask dad, hey dad, what do you think about this? What do you think about this relationship? And I don't know what he'll tell you. Maybe he'll tell you, hey, you need to, you need to move out. <laughs> Great, awesome, if that's what he says. Maybe he's gonna tell you something completely different. Maybe he's gonna say, hey, separate rooms until you get married. Maybe he's gonna say, you know, sleep on the couch, you know, whatever it is. Like, if he says move out, you might move out and discover that there have been some conversations and things that you need to have that now come to the surface that are better to have on this side of the I do's than on the other side. Are you with me? You know the best time to get counseling in your life is before you need counseling in your life. That's the best time to do it. And by the way, God is not a formula. Like, if you do this, this happens. But at the same time, blessing always seems to follow obedience. You look at it over and over in scripture. He's not a formula, but blessing follows obedience. And I would hate for you to miss out on 50 years of blessing because you were unwilling to spend 50 nights on a couch. Move off of that. Zero judgment, I mean that. But God's way, the right way, is rarely easy, is rarely the easy way. It's hard when it comes to our sexuality, when it comes to anything in our life. So here's the challenge. I want you to pray this dangerous prayer. God, what is your vision for my sex life? Ben, you can come help me wrap this up. Because when you have God's greater vision, you will not settle. Again, this is not about not sinning. This is about you and I not settling for the world's bowl of soup that they're offering when it comes to sex. And if you ask God for a greater vision, here's what he'll say. All right, son, daughter, man, I have a better way for you. You are too valuable. 
your birthright as a son or a daughter is worth too much than for you to trade it for an immediate quick fix that the world is trying to offer. Think about this. When do you think Esau realized, oh my God, what did I just do? You think it was after that first bite? Probably not. Still hungry? Still wanted that temporary fix? Probably the second bite tasted just as good and the third bite, whatever, but I gotta imagine that by the time he was at the bottom of that bowl, he's thinking, what did I just, just do? This might be too real for some people, but you've had that same feeling after a one night stand, after having sex with someone that you know is not God's best for you, you have this sinking thought, what did I just do? God has a greater vision for your sex life. It's passionate, it's intimate, it is super powerful. I don't want you to ever forget that. And his way is, is better. So let's do this. Would you stand to your feet right now? Maybe with your head bowed. Maybe just in prayer, maybe hold your palms out. Maybe just to receive something from God today. And just say, God, what is the vision that you have for me? God, where have I fallen short? And again, this is not about shame. He is a good father. He puts boundaries in place so you don't hurt yourself because he loves you and cares for you. So I want you to receive today a greater vision for your sex life than probably that you've ever had before because God's way is the best way where you and I refuse to trade God's ultimate best for something that the world wants to offer us, which is nothing more than a cheap, shallow substitute. So I don't know what he's speaking to you right now, but maybe it's just, God, forgive me. And from this day forward, again, no condemnation, but maybe conviction, God, from this day forward, I'm gonna do it right, I'm gonna do it your way, I'm gonna follow your word. I understand that the two become one, it's a mingling of souls. It's not just physical. So much more than that. So much deeper than that. So God, I give you room right now to speak to my heart and to download your vision for my life. In Jesus' name. Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast. We hope you really enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. Welcome to the family. We would love to know about it, so please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com yes. There will be some practical resources to help you as you start this journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate, go to elevatechurch.com give. Thank you for living generously. We hope you enjoyed this message. Have a great week.